we thank you for your word, which speaks to us in all areas of our life. Uh, there is no part of our heart it leaves untouched, uh, no uh, corner of our mind it does not speak to and address. And Father, we pray that we might submit ourselves in all things according to your word, that we might follow you with a whole heart, with all of our mind and all of our strength and all of our heart, Father, yield ourselves to you and that we might experience the abundant life that Jesus promises and offers. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we are three weeks from the end of the book of Exodus, believe it or not. We've got, uh, <laughs> we've got two more weeks after this. Um, we're going to rip through uh, several chapters next week um, as they're building the tabernacle. Uh, and then uh, we're going to spend a week on chapter 40 and, and look at what happened after they got it built. But this week is uh, a week that has a lot to do with money and giving. Uh, so we're going to talk about money and specifically about giving to the ministry uh, that God has called you to. And those of you who know me uh, know that this is not my favorite topic. Okay, uh, I'd much rather talk about the redemption we have in Christ or God's sovereignty over our life and how he protects and preserves and provides for us. Uh, I'd rather talk about building a Christ-honoring marriage or pretty much anything other than money and giving. And I think uh, it's a correct statistic, in fact, that in nearly 14 years as a pastor, I can still count on one hand the total number of messages I have ever given about money. But... Uh, for me, it's something I like to do. I like to give money away, but not something that's my favorite uh, sermon topic. And I think that's probably true of a lot of us here at Chili Bible. You know, a lot of us are, are, are pretty generous people with our finances. And we are very willing to submit our money to, uh, to the needs of ministry and to, the, uh, to God's goals for us for life generally. But we see money and discussion about it as kind of a necessary evil, something that we have to do from time to time, but we'd rather not uh, be uh, talking about. And it's not something that we get excited about. It's not something that necessarily fills our heart with joy, but nevertheless, something we ought to do. And what I have been learning recently, honestly, is how wrong that attitude is. Because as I look at the scriptures, what I found out is that money is the second most frequently discussed topic in the entire Bible. Right after God, money is next. And the reason is, I think, is because what you do with your money reveals who God really is. If it's you or if it's the Lord God Almighty. And Jesus said it this way. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we want to make sure that our treasure this morning and in days to come is invested in the things which will ultimately bring God glory. Amen? We want to lay up treasures for ourselves, not on earth where 
Thieves break in and steal, and moth and dust corrupt, but treasures in heaven where thieves do not break in and steal, and moth and dust do not destroy, uh, things that last forever. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me over to Exodus chapter 35, uh, beginning at verse 4, and follow along here as I begin reading. (laughs) Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold and silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twisted linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let every skilled craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent, and its covering, its hooks, and its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat, and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils, the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light, and the screen... Uh, for the door and the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, and the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. Now, In this section, you see something really interesting, I think. You see God, first of all, command the nation of Israel to make offerings to the tabernacle. But he does it in a pretty interesting way. Uh, First, God speaks through Moses and he says, This is what the Lord has commanded. And then, right after that, he says this, uh, Let everyone who is of a generous heart... Let him bring the Lord's contribution. In other words, God is not so interested in people's gifts as he is in their heart. He wants them to give. He's commanded them to give. But at the same time, he's concerned that the gifts come from people who are not responding simply because they've been ordered to, but because they want to. Because they have a generous spirit. Because their, their, their attitude of gratitude to God for what He has done for them has now overflowed into generosity with the things that they own and the things that they do. And there are two types of gifts that are given. Um, what you can see there is uh, first offerings from what you have. And there's a long list of stuff that people might have. Uh, there's you know there's gold and there's silver and there's bronze and there's goat's hair and there's all kinds of fancy threads and fabrics and and wood and oil and leather and all kinds of different stuff and you'll notice that there's a variety of values okay uh, ladies if your husband or your husband to be gets down on one knee and offers you goat hair. Probably not many of you are, you know, too thrilled, right? Uh, but 
Nevertheless, it was something that was required for the construction of this tent, this, the tabernacle that God's presence would dwell in. And there's a variety of values uh, of these items. So you've got on the one hand, you've got gold and silver and these uh, precious stones that go into various components on the tabernacle. And on the other hand, you've got leather and goat hair and wood from a desert tree called the acacia tree. Uh, that How do you get that? Well, you go out and you chop it, <laughs> okay? If you didn't have some of, this, some of the other more fancy things, uh, you could go gather it. If you had a generous heart and a generous, uh, generous spirit, you could go provide that uh, in that kind of a way. So there's, a, there's a all, all different kinds of gifts that are needed, which means that both wealthy people as well as people who are a little more downscale can all give and all make a valuable contribution to what's going on. So it's not just the responsibility of people with lots of money, it's responsibility that is offered to everybody. And on top of that, one, the other thing that you need to remember is this. Where did they get all this stuff? These people were slaves for 400 years. So where did they get it? They got it from Egypt. Well, where did he, what, how, did they, how did they wind up with it? Well, remember on Passover night, God told them, hey, go to your neighbors and ask them for some nice parting gifts. <laughs> As you're leaving, tell them, hey, we're getting out of Dodge, we're leaving town, uh, and we would like a little bit of compensation, back wages on 400 years of slavery, if you will. And he says, and I will work in the Egyptian's heart, and they will give you whatever you ask for. And so they did. They went and asked the Egyptians for all this stuff. And the Egyptians are like, I'll give you whatever you want. Just get out of here. I'm so eager to see you guys hit the bricks. So, uh, so they gave them all their stuff, and they got out, and they got out with a vast haul of the wealth of Egypt. Egypt was the world superpower at the time. And they were the wealthiest nation on, the planet, on planet Earth uh, for a thousand years before and probably a thousand years after. Egypt was the center of world power at this time. And so they came out of Egypt loaded down. In fact, God said that they plundered the Egyptians without firing a shot, right? So where did they get it? Well, in a sense, God had given it to them through the Egyptians. So God is asking them, take from what I have given you and give back to me. That's a valuable thing for us to know, right? Now, we don't necessarily plunder our neighbors the way they did, but the same thing holds true for you and me, right? Where do we get what we have? Ultimately, it comes not from our boss or from our 401k or from some stock that we bought that, you know, had a three-for-one split or whatever, okay? Um, it's not from that. Ultimately, what we have comes from the Lord. And, we are at, and He is asking us, just like He asked them, to make an offering to Him based on what He has given us. Now, I talked about this before. You know, at my house, my kids get an allowance, right? So many dollars per week. And we're teaching them about, about giving and about saving and about also about responsible spending. And one of the sweet things that my kids do for me is occasionally they will buy me gifts, which I think is great, right? Uh, 
you know, we got, Karen and I each got a Christmas gift this year from each of the kids, and, you know, when our birthday rolls around, a lot of times we, they give gifts and whatever, and they give gifts to each other, and that's great. Uh, but when I get a gift from my kids, where did they get the money? From me. <laughs> okay, so it's like, hmm, nice gift I got myself, right? Uh, but in a, in a certain sense, it's their money, right? But in a certain sense, it's my money that they're holding on to and spending on whatever they, whatever they want, right? And then they're choosing sometimes to give part of it as a gift to me. Well, our giving, when we give to the Lord, works exactly the same way. Amen? Because all of it came from Him, and when He asks us to make an offering, He's asking us to give back to Him what He already gave us. It's His anyway. We're just holding on to it for a while. Uh, you know, in the same, you know, just just like God commanded them to give, and then invited everybody who was generous to respond, God makes the same command and invitation today. He says, "Y'all," he says it Old Testament, New Testament. Y'all, you need to give. That's kind of my version, but nevertheless, you need to give. Right? Everybody ought to give. And, and make offerings to the Lord. But, he also says, God loves the cheerful, joyful, generous-hearted giver. Right? The person who recognizes what God has done for them and how much He has given them and then responds as a result. That's still true. Let's keep reading. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and amulets uh, and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord, and every one who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarn or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ramskins or goatskins brought them. And everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution, and everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it, and every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen and the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose hearts moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with, spill, with skill, with intelligence, and with knowledge, with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill 
to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen or by a weaver of any sort of workman or skilled designer. And Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. Well, here's what happened. Moses passed along God's instruction, and the people responded. In fact, this is one of the few times in the book of Exodus, or anywhere else, actually, in the entire Old Testament, where God gives instructions, and immediately afterward, people fully obeyed. So, this is like a red-letter section, that, that God said, do this, and people did it. And it, it's almost surprising, if you understand the rest of the scriptures, uh, the rest of the scriptures are not inhabited by people who are particularly obedient. Just like people in this room, you know, uh, we are people who are at best partially obedient to the word of God, right? But here is a time when they were fully obedient and they brought everything that was needed. And, and they, they not only brought their stuff, they brought with them their skills, they brought with them the very best of what they had to offer. So, and, and you see a couple of different groups that are called out for special mention. You see the women, the skilled women who could spin that goat hair into thread and make, and make cloth. Uh, you see the women who uh, were able to spin the blue and purple and scarlet uh, yarn and the fine twisted linen for those, the, the cherubim that were woven into those curtains. Um, you see them called out. Now, that's not to say that every woman needs to learn how to sew. That's, that's not the point of that text. But the point is that, that both men as well as women, rich as well as poor, all participated. That, and everybody offered the best of what they had as well as the very best of their skills. And God specifically appointed Bezalel and Aholiab, these two artists, oversee the whole thing because this project was a massive work of art. And God wanted it to be the most beautiful, best done, most um, ornate thing that they had ever participated in. And so it was only the very most skillful people that they utilized and where somebody's skills were lacking, they had Bezalel and Aholiab to train them and teach them, no, that's not quite exactly what we want. It needs to look like this, or it needs to be done that way. Um, and this project started to come together. The other group that you see that are specifically called out is the leaders, and I think that's important. Because the leaders bring some of the, some, some of the most... Uh, significant, most costly gifts. Where did they get the precious stones? From the guys who were leading the congregation. The guys who were leading the group. Um, by the way, that's a principle that's still true. That if you are an upfront person, if you are a leader, you ought to set an example for everyone else in giving. Now, we don't make an announcement about who gives what or any of that. In fact, those of us who are elders have no knowledge of who gives a single dime 
in this church. There are a couple of people who do know because they have to put together giving statements at the end of the year. But they're not on our leadership team in terms of they're not members of our elder board because that is between that person and the Lord. But nevertheless, we have an expectation that if you're a leader here at Chillicothe Bible Church, that you're going to give and give generously and give sacrificially so that we set an example for everyone else. Just as the leaders of the people of Israel were up front, they said, look, we're going we're gonna to not be lax in what we're doing. God has called us to give. We're going to give and give generously. Amen? Um, so everybody, both men and women, could participate. Everybody, both rich and poor, could participate. And those who are leading need to be setting an example for everybody else. Because God calls those who lead to a higher standard than everybody else. Amen? All right. Let's move on. Let's keep reading. Uh, Verse 2, chapter 36. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary and they still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from the task that he was doing and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave a command and work was, word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Now, this to me is one of the most surprising parts of the story. Offerings were made in such quantity and out of such generous hearts that they literally had to make an announcement. Okay, y'all, stop it already. We've already got more than we can handle. We don't know what to do, in fact, with all that you've already given. There's so much more than, we, than, than is needed, we're not sure what to do with it all. Thank you, but stop. Because we're running into a storage problem at this point. For all of this stuff that has come in, we have, we have too much. Now this is the greatest capital campaign that has ever been had. <laughs> okay, they're going to build this building and this, this, this really ornate structure, and they get way too much money to spend it all. They don't even know what to do with the remainder. And so uh, imagine that, you know, to be told, uh, you bring your, you're bringing your gift, and uh, the treasurer would meet you and say, no, I'm sorry, <laughs> we can't take any more. <laughs> okay. Or have Eric tell you, nope, 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 not going to happen. This week, you've got to put that back in your pocket. Okay. Uh, but the reason that that happens, I think, is this. And I think we need to understand the motivation of this. That generosity is the overflow of gratitude. And gratitude is the overflow of being a recipient of grace. Gratitude is what develops when you are a recipient of grace. And then gratitude develops into generosity toward other people. 
Uh, and let me explain what's just happened. You remember back a few chapters, about chapter 32, what was going on? Moses is up on the mountain, and while he's up there, all the people get worried about him, and they go, you know, we don't really know what happened to this Moses fellow, but we need a God to worship, and he's kind of occupied or like fell asleep up there or died. I don't know if he's, you know, Rip Van Winkle or what happened, but we haven't seen him for 40 days. And we need a God to lead us. So make us a God, Aaron, to go before us. And so Aaron said, okay, well, bring me your earrings and we'll make, your, make you a God. I'll fix it right up for you. And they made a golden calf in imitation of some of the gods of Egypt. And they bowed down in front of it and they offered sacrifices to it. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. And they engaged in wild immorality with one another. And in consequence, God struck the nation with a plague and 3,000 people died because they had broken God's covenant in multiple ways. But most significantly, they'd broken the first two of the Ten Commandments in addition to some others that went along with it. Like, thou shalt not commit adultery. They were all into that as part of this. But no other gods before me and no golden statues no graven images they're breaking that too and god's judgment came down on those people and they all wonder wonder what's going to happen now is our relationship with god over have have things been permanently and irrevocably harmed between me and god or is god going to be restored to us is god going to lead us again into the nation is God going to be with us is he going to dwell with us as our God are we going to be restored and you remember what happens God's mediator goes up on a mountain and he literally offers his life for those people God says my justice says those people ought to die and the mediator says take me not them And as a result, their relationship with God was restored because the mediator offered his life for the sins of the people. And in response, God restored relationship with them and he said, I will be their their God and they will be my people and I will dwell with them and I will lead them into the promised land. And their response to that was tremendous gratitude because they understood they had been shown grace that they did not deserve. In fact, it's the very definition of grace is that what you did not deserve is what you've received. And that God withheld from you the judgment that you did deserve. You got mercy instead of justice. And in gratitude, they became very generous-hearted people. And they offered God more than what He required. More than was needed to accomplish the work. And you know what? Their story is our story. Their story is my story. Because when I was in the middle of my sin, when I was 
running headlong away from God, and I said to myself, I'm going to have any other kind of God that I want to construct for myself other than the living God. And God's justice declared that I should be put to death. The mediator came. And he went and he stood on a mountain. And he offered his life for my sin. And God said, God said, I'll take it. I will accept your life instead of his and when you, when you die, you will die in His place. And I will be His God. And He will be my people. And I will dwell with Him. And He will dwell with me. And I will take Him into the promised land. And I will take her. And I will take Him. And you and me. It's the same story. And in response, having been a recipient of God's grace in a way that I can't even put my arms around, I am still a sinner. Amen? Still. The death of Christ has freed me from the penalty of sin, and it has eliminated sin's power over me, uh, where I don't have to sin anymore, but it has not eliminated in total the presence of sin from my life, at least not yet. That day's coming. And yet, God, every day I wake up and I hear this verse Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. I have been a recipient of grace upon grace upon grace. And in response, I offer to the Lord the best of what I have. The best of my skills, the best of my finances, the best of my life is His. Why? Because when you are a recipient of God's grace, you can't help but have gratitude toward Him. And part of your gratitude ought to overflow into generosity as well. In a supporting people like Rick and Angie Shu, in a supporting ministries like the Crossword Cafe, and supporting ministries like Chillicothe Bible Church, supporting people like Wendy and and, and uh, Wendy and Dennis Merdian, uh, into investing in unreached people groups around the world, whether they are Arabs or or Lampongese or uh, Berbers or wherever they are. People who need to hear the gospel. These are the things that God calls us to sacrifice and invest generously in out of gratitude for what He has done for us. Because our lives are not ours. And our stuff is not ours. We received it as a gift from Him and we are called to offer it back as a gift to Him. Amen? Because God's grace has reached down to us. Our response should be gratitude and generosity with our life and the best of what we have. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. 
God, our Heavenly Father, I cannot even imagine the kind of love that You have for me. That seeing me in all of my sin, in all of my rebellion against You, in all of the times, even recently, that I have said, no thank you, I will go my own way, and I will do what I want to do, and I do not care what you say in your word. That seeing all that, you said, I will send my son, and I will offer his life in exchange for yours. And in His death and resurrection, I will give you new life and relationship with me and a home in heaven. What kind of God loves like that? The only one that there is. And Father, we are grateful. In fact, our gratitude is wholly insufficient to account for the grace we have received. Father, Your grace is overwhelming. And we pray that though our life is very little, though our resources are small, though our skills are not great in comparison to Your majesty and amazing awesomeness, that, Father, You would be pleased to accept what we do have to offer with our life and our talents and our resources, that we would sacrifice them to you to bring you glory and that you would be pleased to receive it from us. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.